0: Hello and welcome to the Third Sector podcast. I'm Lucinda Rouse, Senior Multimedia Reporter.
1: And I'm Russell Hargrave, Senior News Reporter for Third Sector, the UK's leading publication for the voluntary and not-for-profit sector.
0: This week, we'll be giving you a whistle-stop tour of the world of podcasting, why it might be a good thing for your charity to consider if you haven't yet done so, and things you could do to improve your organisation's podcast if you already have one. From the what and the why to the how and the when, We hope the next half hour or so will provide some food for thought, wherever you are on the podcast spectrum.
1: And a bit later in the show, we'll be chewing the fat on the recent controversial one and a quarter million pound cash donation by Airbnb to English Heritage. But before that, and without further ado, let's welcome our guest for this week, Vic Turnbull. Vic has many strings to her bow as an audio producer and podcast community creator. She's the founder of Mike Media, a podcast production and training company specialising in making content for charities big and small, social impact organisations and value-led corporates. She also flies the flag for northern women in the media and joins us from Manchester. Hi Vic, how are you? Hello, what a lovely introduction.
2: You absolutely got that spot on, Russ. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Listen, I thanks so much for joining us today. Let's start with the basics on podcasting. I mean... Why should or shouldn't a charity have a podcast?
2: Do you know what? I was thinking about this question today, this morning. I was I was, I was getting ready, actually, and I thought charities are so great and well-placed to have a podcast, more than quite a lot of organisations, actually, in that they may have already got an audience. They know who their audience are. They know what their mission is. Um, they know what they're good at. And they know where their expertise lies, where their passion lies. And they've probably got loads of content or uh, sources of content already. So in that respect, they're miles ahead of quite a lot of people who want to get into podcasting. Now, there's loads of advantages of podcasting, especially in the charity not-for-profit sector. There's things like how you can create an impactful legacy or how you can creatively and authentically report back to funders or donors or stakeholders or givers um and not to mention amplifying that mission because just through the very nature of podcasts you could go international uh, with your mission or your outcomes or your success stories and it's just a very interesting and engaging way to raise awareness as well not to mention giving you that voice of authority as well in 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 what you're doing what you're good at what your focus is what your um what your charity or not for profit is all about now saying that I don't think you should go into podcasting because it's the brand new shiny thing to do like I know yeah. you're going to have a, an episode on this soon but like not to have don't go don't go trying to TikTok uh when you know it's <laughs> you it's just because it's nice and shiny and all the kids are doing it um have you got something to say in an interesting way. And can you be consistent and continually show up for your audience, even though it might be a one-off thing that you're doing?
0: Yeah. I mean, that is the the starting point really, isn't it? To work out what your purpose is in in putting out a podcast. And there are many, many different ways that you can make use of the podcasting medium.
2: Yeah. One of the main things I say to people that come to Mike Media when they say, Oh, I'd like a podcast, but I don't know where to start um and it's thinking about three things really and one of those is purpose it's the why why you want why do you want to do it and it could be that because let's face it you two know doing this weekly is that it's a lot of work <laughs> it can be
1: i hope we make, we make it look effortless right oh,
2: absolutely <laughs> um is why are you doing it What's the purpose of it? And that could be some internal motivators. So maybe you want to raise awareness, like we've said before. It might be that you want to inform your beneficiaries of something. It might be that you want to promote a new campaign. Um, Maybe your beneficiaries want to learn something or your audience needs to learn something that you can impart your wisdom. Or is there some external motivators, like you want to give a true life account of something Tell the stories that need to be heard. Showcase the real voices. What what is the purpose? What is the why? And I think second to that and um, important to that is who's it for? Who's your podcast for? So these two main things to think about, the why um, and the who. Now, the who is really important. People in your sector already, people already in the know, your beneficiaries, um, is it your partners, is it your wider stakeholders, is it your givers? Or is it people or is it wider? Is it more, is it for people not in the know? So that's one distinction to make, first of all, is who is it for? And then drill that down. Everything becomes much, much clearer when you have an idea of your who and you're on the same page as your who. And it doesn't have to be demographically a who, so it doesn't have to be a man who's 35 to 45 it could be have they got any shared interests shared beliefs shared feelings do they want to get some the same stage in their life um and when you know you're who you can then plan your content your language the guests that you get in the messaging of your marketing um where you market what your marketing looks like all those things can start playing into then um your podcast moving forwards.
0: Maybe now would be a good time to actually listen to a couple of charity podcasts. So first of all, we are going to listen to a podcast from a charity called Switchboard and it's called The Logbooks.
2: What if we could take a peek into LGBT plus life in Britain decades ago? I'm Adam Smith, a writer and podcaster.
0: I'm Tash Walker, a trustee of a charity called Switchboard, and an avid queer history enthusiast.
1: We're gonna share with you a unique set of documents known as the logbooks.
0: And it all begins behind a train station in London. I'm standing outside Hausman's Bookshop behind King's Cross Station. This area.
1: I've got to say, when I first heard that clip yesterday, when Lucinda was showing it, I absolutely loved that. For two reasons. One is it sounds like a BBC quality podcast. And secondly, it's got a cliffhanger ending. It's a charity that is basically saying you're about to learn about this stuff from sort of a back alley uh, in London, but you've got to stay tuned. It's the So the quality is just so high and the promise that it holds out straight away yeah. is so good. What I mean, what do you think, Vic? You've heard sort of, you know, hundreds of these, I'm sure. What, what's the main attraction there?
2: What I love about this, and this podcast actually ran for three series. It was funded by HLF, Heritage Lottery Fund. So an idea there, if you're thinking like, I could never, I've not got the money to do this, have a look at your funders. Um, I'll talk about that in a second, actually. So I liked it because what I'm all about at Mike Media is that your charity podcast can be interesting. It can be of high quality. It doesn't have to be fluffy or boring or run of the mill. And these guys have created basically what is an awareness raising podcast. They're raising awareness of Switchboard, which is the LGBTQI plus helpline. And what they've done, they said, well, what have we got in our archive? And they've got lots of these logbooks that were written by volunteers to the switchboard, and they go through them from the 1974 right through to 2003. So it's an audible legacy, lasting legacy, and a history of LGBTQI uh, history from the 70s. And in, by proxy they're creating awareness of that helpline. So I think that's a beautiful way of, of of doing something that's awareness raising, that's not just, hey, look at our switchboard, it's dead good, isn't it? Um, and yeah, like I say, they, they won, they've won a plethora of awards, uh, notably like the uh, Best New Podcast at the 2020 Bridge Podcast Awards. So charity podcasts, not-for-profits podcasts can compete with the big boys. And it's one of the things that, that charities say to me is that, There are four and a half million podcasts out there and that number's growing, but you're not competing with four and a half million podcasts. You're competing with your little corner of the world. And it's
0: just such engaging content, isn't it? Like we've got we've got history in there, we're we're using their archives. Um it's that sort of really goes into what some of the most successful types of podcast content are, isn't it? It's like we're we're, we're engaging the audience and we're we're telling a story um in not the most literal obvious way about what this charity Absolutely. does.
2: That's it, Lucina. You've got it in one. And also they're using their volunteers as well. So they're using talent that they've got. One of the presenters is a trustee, so they're using the talent that's at their fingertips, they're not reinventing the wheel with this.
0: Yeah. How about the second one? Let's play it. Okay, so this is one that you are behind,
1: I believe.
2: Yes. Oh, wow. This is the perfect place.
1: Exactly what we said we wanted. Hey, come on there, Rita. Teach us a move.
0: Let's all do the funky chicken. Do what?
1: That sounds
0: silly. The funky chicken? It's exactly what it sounds like. We're going to dance like a chicken. Do chickens dance? If they're
1: funky, they do.
0: Firstly, we bob our heads back and forward like a chicken. You got that, adventurer? We're bobbing our heads backwards and forwards. You don't have to make the chicken noises. It's hard not to. Now we bend our arms and stick our elbows out and flap them up and down like wings. Fantastic. Well done, everyone. Shall we put it all together to some music?
2: Yes! Great! I'm not sure I've got it. That's OK, Connor. Just follow us and you'll pick it up. And you, adventurer, ready to be a funky chicken? Red Bob.
0: Flap our wings. Both together. Well done, everyone. That was
1: fun. It makes you smile, doesn't it? It's hard to feel down when you're being a funky chicken with your friends. Did you enjoy this, adventure? Did it make you smile?
2: What about you, Connor? You've been very quiet. If I'm honest, Pat, all this makes me feel awkward. Why... I want to get lost in the music and just move with it, but I can't. I feel like everyone is looking at me and laughing. We're not laughing at you, Connie. We wouldn't do that. I know you wouldn't, but I can't relax. I feel like my body is moving all wrong and all of me is in the wrong place. I'm sorry to hear you feel like that, Connie. Maybe we just haven't found your dance yet. Yeah, Connie. You'll get it. We can find your favourite that works for you. Could we try line dancing, Pat? Maybe if it's your favourite, it'll be mine too. Of course. What's line dancing? Well, it's exactly what it says it
0: is. Oh, that's lovely, Vic. (laughs) I really enjoyed that. Can you tell us what that's all about and what story is behind it?
2: I really enjoyed watching you two do the funky chicken right there. (laughs) Beautiful. So armchair adventures, that is. And that is a kids' pod, a podcast for kids, for little kids aged around six to 10 years old. And that's made by a small community interest company in Ashton near Manchester. They're a participatory arts organization, really hard to say that. And they work with um, a group of amateur elderly actors. And when the pandemic hit, they couldn't work with them in person anymore. So they started to work with them online on Zoom um did workshops on how to get on zoom um and armchair adventures was born as a way for it's interactive so there's like loads of moving dance along activities and it was born to a keep working with the elderly actors group and b bring the community together so playing to their strengths they're they're, they're a musical theater company at heart they have the actors there um and their whole remit as well as working with young people and bringing older people and young people together so it, they're not reinventing the wheel with it. And so three series later, they, they've launched their third series at the beginning of this year. Uh, this summer, they won a British Podcast Award for, um, in the kids and, and family category. And thousands of listeners across the world. And um, amazingly as well, this summer announced as the very first kids podcast available in flight on all Virgin Atlantic flights. Oh, fantastic. I know. It's just, it's so amazing. Like brings a smile to my face every time I talk about this and how they funded it as well is is interesting because, so for example, Arts Council um, are are big funders. Arts Council are now funding podcasts. Um, They've had money like one-off bits of funding to focus on specific subjects in each of the episodes. They've had a, the Veterans Foundation um, have funded a few episodes because they've they work with veterans um, and combating loneliness, recycle for GM, promoting composting, uh, recycle bike initiatives. So interesting ways of getting funding for their podcast as well. So very two different examples of podcasts made by not-for-profits, but just to show the breadth of what's possible.
1: And do you have any practical tips as someone who's done so much of this on how charities can get started? If someone's listening right now and is thinking, you know what, this might actually be, this might actually work for us, but I, I don't even know what my first step would be. What, what would you recommend?
2: Something that I like to call EEP. <laughs> it's your, I think, and you probably, as podcast fans yourself, both of you, all great podcasts have either one of the three. They all come. They all speak from experience. They all speak from expertise or they all speak from passion they either have all of those three or one of those three so have a think about what your eep is and how you could transfer that to a podcast then number two is move on to your who you what and your why what is it going to be about why does it exist and who is it for again start by splitting those audiences into two is it for the people already in the know or is it for wider and Logbooks and Armchair Adventures is for wider, I think. So, for example, I'm working on a podcast at the minute with GM Moving. It's a sharing best practice piece, but it's specifically for their partners. They're appealing to their partners and people already in the know who it would be helpful for. It's not of interest to the wider public.
0: And that's actually an interesting point because you don't need 100,000 downloads or whatever to, to have a successful podcast. You, de- you define the parameters of success for yourself if it's to inform your donors that might be a handful of people i mean i'm not sure if they'd be particularly happy of you spending time and resources to uh, <laughs> create a glossy pro- product for five people um but if that's what your success is then so be it
2: absolutely and that's a great point there to as well define have a think about your measures of success right at the start so is it that i want to get um some donations through this and what's that measurable is it that i want to get 1000 listens by series 1 um is it that I want to inform my audience? Well, how big is that potential audience? I made a podcast for Plan UK a couple of years ago in lockdown, and that was a way to thank their donors because they couldn't do an in-person event. So if just, I don't know how many donors they had, but if just that number had listened, or double that number had listened, then they, they smashed it out of the park, are not they? Um, and then my third bit of advice is to do an episode brain dump. And what I mean by that is lots of charities come to me and say, we can't, I can't, we can't speak about anything. How, how can we get to eight episodes? I'm like, well, get a piece of paper or a Google Sheet or an Excel. And first, the first ideas that come into your head, the ones that you automatically go, no, that's rubbish. Get down on a piece of paper what each episode could be about. A row for every idea. Try and get to 20. And then look at it and go on the notion that try and stick to one idea, theme, subject per episode could you then split that into two or three and then add i reckon you could get up to 50 episode ideas so for example if one of your episodes is about funding huge subjects why don't you split that up into different bits different so that could be grant funding philanthropy donors then if you're you want to have guests on your podcast or some of your episodes have guests on why don't you match those subjects to the guests or list loads of people that you know in your immediate network? the low-hanging fruit, love that phrase, match a subject matter to them. And then shortlist to the first date. There you go. You've got first eight episodes of a series. I make it sound so easy, don't I? But mm-hmm. you could you could do this list this afternoon over a cup of tea. That also
0: links to how you collect
2: content.
0: You know, if you haven't got a, a massive communications team who's able to go out and meet your beneficiaries or whatever, we're all armed with smartphones now um just a, a basic voice note could could work couldn't it in terms of getting stories from your communities um and then feeding them into to your podcast
2: yeah and this is all about that dem- demystifying what you need to make a podcast isn't it um you only need four things to make a podcast right you need something to capture some noise on which is a microphone you need some headphones to listen to what you're recording and editing You need something to store that recording onto or edit onto, and you need some editing software. Now, four of those, you've probably already got some headphones. You've probably already got a laptop or something to store that recording onto, and you can get some free editing software. So you probably only need to buy a microphone. But our smartphones come with microphones and used correctly. These can sound great. There's no excuse. (laughs) It's
1: it's such an interesting point because you do... When you listen to podcasts, there is a world of difference, I think, between those that are recorded in a way that just doesn't sound particularly kind of smooth or slick. Um, that can work for charities. I think people will cut charities quite off slack. They're not supposed to be the slickest organisations in the world because they're focusing on helping beneficiaries.
2: I disagree. I think regardless if you're a charity or a not-for-profit or not, you can make your audio sound great. Um, and simply by you could use... you could pick up a cheap USB microphone uh, this microphone I'm using right now bought from Cash Converters in Stockport and it's still going strong so you can pick up a second hand microphone you can get yourself a wired hands-free kit and this can instantly elevate um, your laptop microphone so there is little hacks you can do to make it sound good Um, so don't let being a charity be the excuse that you can have iffy audio
0: (laughs) Yeah, and it, it's it's really great that that it can be so easy to produce good quality audio because for me that is the biggest turnoff when I'm listening to a podcast. If if it's bad audio, if there's too many scrapes and scuffles and the rest of it, I will just switch off. Doesn't matter if it's the most interesting conversation.
2: But what you could do, Russ, is you could um, if your audio is a little bit iffy, like if you've recorded it on Zoom and people are going because their internet's going a bit funny. Just own it. Just say, look, this was recorded on Zoom. Got a few struggles in the audio, but uh, just bear with us. You know, like, just prepare your, prepare your audience for it. And they're like, oh, they care about me. I like them.
1: <laughs> it's such good advice. And also all good comms advice comes back to be open and transparent with the people yeah. that you're speaking directly to. So there's no reason why podcasts wouldn't obey that rule, right?
2: Amazing point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, indeed.
0: And if you are among the lucky charities, um, with a big communications budget and you've decided that you want to put this into a podcast, there are audio production companies out there who can deliver a really slick product for you, right?
2: Yeah. Um, would you believe there's people that do this for a living? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Wonder yeah. who they are, <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, but yeah, there is, I mean, Mike Media, we, we specialize in making podcasts for good eggs. That's what, that's why I get out of bed every morning is to help is to help charities and not-for-profits realize that you can do this and do it well so yeah we offer podcast production and training um workshops and coaching and and whatnot as well um i've just started this series actually that is it's so timely i've started this series called grab the mic and it's um every month i do two live conversations with not-for-profit podcasters um and it's simply to demystify those steps and show off some of the interesting and inspiring things not-for-profits are doing in the podcasting world.
1: And charities have had that kind of chat internally about how they communicate, whether they've got the skills they need, right? So you'll have training on how to write blogs and how to get your participants ready to appear in the media if they have to. I suspect at the moment, there's not a lot of charities where podcasting is one of the sort of modules in that training that they get in. But I wonder how far away we are from, from people thinking that at least being able to kind of present and scrap together the technology that you need to, to do a good job. You know, maybe we're not a million miles away from that being quite a standard thing, especially for larger charities. We're thinking about reaching new audiences or finding new ways to reach older audiences.
2: It's a great point there is because it's transferable skills, aren't they, as well? Um, someone was saying to me the other day. My confidence has grown so much since I've been podcasting. Like my my presentation skills and the way I have conversations with people off mic has, has transformed since I've had a podcast. So it's an absolutely fascinating discussion, and it's I would say also
0: to your point, Russ, that that you just need to do a quick Google. There are so many resources out there, including specifically for the the charity and the not for profit sector. Um, this this is such a huge growing. Medium um, that that yeah, there's there's just so much on offer f- in terms of free support if you don't want to go down the route of a of a paid production company supporting you at every step of the way, and so grab the mic, Vic. How do people get um, involved with that?
2: Grab the mic is live conversations twice a month, and to find out when the latest one is, simply go to Mike Media's LinkedIn page. It's Mike Media, and it's a big black mic text with a little pink line underneath it um and sign up and follow you can also sign up to my newsletter by going to micmedia.co.uk.
0: fantastic well thank you so much Vic for imparting all of this wisdom and advice and yeah really thought-provoking conversation it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast
2: thanks so much for inviting me honestly I could wang on about this for the next three weeks so thank you <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: so thank you very much indeed Vic
0: Now, we've just about got time on our podcast to talk about something else. Russ, I know you've been busy this week with your usual eclectic range of stories and what appears to have become our regular new Prime Minister, now what for charities feature. What else has caught your eye this week?
1: Yes, obviously a lot of my time has been taken up thinking about Liz Truss becoming Rishi Sunak via no one being Boris Johnson's Prime Minister anymore. Um, But there was something else that, that came about earlier this week that I think is really interesting. Um Airbnb made a one and a quarter million pound donation to English Heritage, an exempt charity, and immediately hit sort of some rather rocky waters. So uh, I talked to um, a sort of a housing expert charity who asked English Heritage to give the money back, essentially, saying that this was a form of what they called cultural greenwashing, mm. an attempt by Airbnb to transform its sometimes rather bad public reputation through a bit of philanthropy. Mm-hmm. Um and, and as, we, as we go to press, I will say English Heritage don't seem particularly likely to, uh, to give that money back. But it was a story that, you know, charities clashing with one another over values, cash, donations, um, what they want to do next. Um, and a really interesting set of questions, I think, for the sector, which, uh, which we sort of tried to explore a bit more on the website earlier this week as well.
0: Yes, in your fascinating analysis piece. But my question is, English Heritage doesn't really have anything to do with housing issues, the housing crisis. So why shouldn't it accept a donation from Airbnb?
1: Such a good question. I think three or four years ago, this would have passed without a murmur. But the way in which charities work collectively now has changed. There's a huge amount of pressure on charities, no matter what their narrow charitable objectives might be, to look at the good or bad things that are happening in society as a whole. And so the argument by the activists on this side is, Well, Airbnb, um, through their work and through their business model, reduce the number of houses, especially in communities which are very popular with second homeowners or places you might want to go on holiday. There's a lot of Airbnbs to choose from. Mm -hmm. And that means that there's fewer places locally for people to buy their own properties. And that's contributing to a lack of social housing. Some antisocial behavior MPs have claimed as well linked to Airbnb. Airbnb, of course, would say, actually, they're very, very careful about this stuff, but there is a bit of a tide of public opinion against them. And English heritage, by taking the donation, their argument would be, well, this money goes to actually help some areas where there's um, ancient sites uh, get sort of more investment and cash from tourists and this sort of thing. But the expectation is, well, look, if you're a charity, you're part of doing social good. And even outside of your charitable objectives, are you helping businesses that aren't doing much social good clean up their reputation a little bit? And that's where the controversies come from.
0: Who's losing out? Say if English Heritage had privately declined the donation, or if now that there's been some criticism of mm-hmm. their decision to take it, they gave it back, Who who's actually losing out in that?
1: Well, so that's the question, isn't it? I mean, there's millions of pounds spent in corporate philanthropy every single year. It is not unusual at all for businesses to give money to charities, partly a bit of social good, which is no problem at all. Sometimes it's also because businesses are trying to align what they do philanthropically with what their business interests are. And Airbnb is certainly part of that because they've got a, a program of their own for promoting heritage b and mm. um, So if they didn't have the donation, there'd be a little bit less money flowing through Uh, the philanthropic world. That's bad for charities because charities need cash to do the work to help their beneficiaries. That's the the, the nuts and bolts of it. But it it simply is now we're we're living in a culture really where having the money is traded off against a reputation and the the good of the country and the world at large. And we see that even more in, for example, greenwashing arguments about ESG investments by big charities where they might be invested in fossil fuels, but at the same time fighting to tackle poverty in the UK. Well, poverty in the UK is exacerbated by climate change and all those challenges. And so the argument will be you can't really do one and stand for the other. So who loses out? Well, the charity loses out if they don't accept the cash.
0: And what do you think the broader moral... Implications are for charities. Like, are the culture wars happening to charities, or is the sector willingly taking part?
1: Well, I was listening to back to you and Andy chatting last week. I thought you had a fascinating interview with Sue Tibbles, um, the charity campaigning expert
0: from the Sheila mckechnie passion. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Um, and far be it from me to disagree too much with uh, with Sue, who is, is such an expert. But her argument seemed to be that charities are the victims of culture wars. That you know, the front page of the Telegraph gets a big splash, criticizes charities, and and charities are, are sort of the passive victims and all this. I'm not totally sure. I agree, if I'm honest. Um, you think to the scope adverts outside Conservative Conference this year, which were you know, very directly targeting Liz Trust and talking about Liz Trust not really caring about spending time and money on helping disabled people. Mm. That's good campaigning, but it's pretty sharp stuff. It's getting into a bit of a culture war about whether or not disabled people are taken seriously. And is this government doing enough to help people who need that help? I'm always a bit wary of the claim, you do see it around, that charities really, they they drift above the culture war and they're doing something very sort of morally important until they get dragged into the mire. Good campaigns are already kind of thinking of a hundred different ways to appeal to their audiences. And sometimes that's a bit culture warry, And I think that's a thing to be celebrated rather than worried about.
0: Well, thank you very much, Russ, for your invaluable insight. That's
1: very kind. Thank you.
0: I know that you could carry on talking about this um, (laughs) for for quite some time longer Um, but that's it for this week Um, we'll be back with another episode soon and I hope you enjoyed this discussion about podcasting there is one about TikTok coming up in a couple of weeks time should your charity get involved with TikTok and if so how Um, so please if you enjoyed this make sure you subscribe to the third sector podcast on all good platforms to be the first to know about it
1: and if you have any thoughts on our podcast, what you enjoyed, what you didn't, who's your favourite, was it me or Lucinda, what you'd like to see more or less of, or any topics you'd like us to cover, please do get in touch with us on Twitter at Third Sector. Our DMs are always open. And I think we're always up for a chat. Until then, I'm Russell Hargrave.
0: And I'm Lucinda Rass. Thank you to our guest, Vic Turnbull, and our producer, Aidan Lyons, at Rethink Audio. Join us again next week.